Good morning, everyone. Excellent, excellent. Hey, uh, thanks for being with us today. Uh, my name is Michael, one of the pastors on staff here. Who already spent their, their extra hour? You slept it away? Good job. That's right. I tried. I tried. My body just was not cooperating. Um, well, we, we are uh, on the back end of a series today that we have entitled uh, Pre-Decide. And uh, we'll give you more on that in a little bit. But, you know, Pastor Laura mentioned a number of things about Christmas. Is this coming? Uh, how many shopping days until Christmas? Three. <laughs> I don't know what world you're living in, Ron. Okay. Um, but uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to do two services. We're going to do a 4.30 and a 6. It will be a traditional candlelight and carols service. And Cat is trying to put together a Christmas choir and if you want to be part of that, Kat needs to know because they're going to start working on that soon. And so you can fill out your connection card. You can text her. Her number's in the bulletin there. You can storm the stage after service, you know, whatever. Just grab Kat and let her know that you want to be part of that. Um, but as we get started today, we're going to violate kind of a, a speaker's protocol or a speaker's rule. Um, we're going to dive just right into the deep end of the pool. You know, good speakers kind of ease you in there. You don't have a good speaker today, all right? We're just going to just jump right in, and uh, we're going to ask some hard, some potentially uncomfortable questions, but they're questions we're thinking about. So who's ready for some tension? All right, good. So here it comes. All right, we'll bring those questions up on the screen. I, know, I told you it's coming, all right? Um, you ever feel disappointment? about where you're at spiritually. Do you ever look at your spiritual life and, and where you're at and just think, at this point, I, I thought I'd be doing something different. Or I, I thought I'd be doing something more significant than what I'm doing right now. Does it ever feel sometimes like life's just passing you by? Do you ever wonder when it comes to your relationship with God, is there something more to this? Should there be something more to this? Is this all there is? Now, when you think about questions like these, some of us out there and, and we look at these and we go, nah, no, I'm, I'm good. This isn't an issue for me. And, and if that's you, I'm not mad at you. Good for you. Sit back and enjoy the ride today. All right? If you look at some of this and you go, oh, that's me. I'm, I'm wrestling with a number of these things. I just, I want you to know there, there is good news for you today. In today's pre-decision, I want you to know there is more. You can be doing something more significant than what you're doing right now. There can be genuine excitement about your spiritual life. And again, it's found in today's pre-decision. So let's take a minute and pray. Invite God to be part of this. And then we'll dive into that pre-decision and unpack it together. Father, just as, as uh, we're here today, some of us, we're just, life's good right now. We're enjoying an extra hour of sleep. And we're in a good place. And we're grateful for that. Father, others of us just, this is, a, this is a difficult season. 
and it's weighing heavy on our hearts. God, as we, as we look at today's predecision, open our minds to you, to your truth as you reveal them to us in the New Testament. Help us to be receptive to what you might be saying. Fathers, I think of our church family today. We want to pray just specifically for Kim Bates as she's going to be getting a biopsy this week as she's going to be beginning chemo soon. Father, we pray for your hand of healing on her body. We pray for Brian and their boys and for her that you would meet them, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring peace, that you just help them to be good to each other in the midst of this. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're, we're in the midst of a series that we've entitled Predecide. And in the series, we're just talking about the, the power that decisions have, the, the weight that they carry in our lives. And we've got a couple of taglines for this series. Uh, we've been saying that the, the, the quality of our decisions, so often that will determine the quality of our lives. We've been saying that we make our decisions and in turn, our decisions make us. Now, this may be true, but here's the trouble with this. Human beings, not you, the person next to you, they are notoriously bad decision makers, right? I just watched somebody in the back, you know, lean over their neighbor and say, he's talking about you, right? Um, but we just, we, we, I mean, we've been there. We've been that person. We've watched it happen. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going, hey, what are some critical areas in our lives? We've identified six. There are probably more than six, but we're going to limit ourselves to six. Six critical areas where we would do well to pre-decide about who we want to be, how we want to live, rather than waiting till we're in the midst of that moment with all the emotion and drama screaming in our ears. We're going, hey, while I still have access to God's truth and good sense, I want to pre-decide to be these things. And when it comes to, to those questions that we talked about right here at the beginning, today's predecision can make a dramatic impact on how these questions get answered. In fact, when I think about how we would hope these questions are answered is people who are following Jesus. Like it is people who, who, who are going, I've experienced the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of God through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. How we, how we would hope to answer these questions. I'm reminded of another group of Jesus followers who when it came to questions like these, they were just crushing it. Like they were doing an amazing job. And I, I would suggest to you that they did such an amazing job because of what they pre-decided. Now, th this group of Jesus followers, they're described for us in the book of Acts. In chapter 2, we read about their lives, their church, and what their community was like. Here's what Luke records for us. Acts chapter 2, we're picking up at verse 43. It'll be on the screen or you can, you know, your, your Bible or your device, whatever you're following along with. Luke writes, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, try and imagine being part of something like that. Like, imagine a church where, where the, the leadership was just in tune with the spirit and work of God. Like you could just, you had leaders so in tune with God, you could see this in their lives, in their ministry. Like today, as we live in a season where every time you turn around, there's another headline about the next church leader who's misstepped, who was flat out crashed and burned. Imagine a church where, where the ministry leaders and the elders and the staff were so in tune with God's spirit. It was like a conduit from heaven to that congregation. Or imagine a community, a church where like, people were overwhelmingly concerned about one another. And that concern got expressed in generosity. Like, like a church where it was just flat out unacceptable. For somebody to have a genuine need and for nobody to do something about that. Imagine a group of people where everybody decided, you know, my stuff isn't my stuff. It's God's stuff. And, and if I see you don't have enough, it's a non-issue for me to sell off some of my stuff to help you because that's why God gave me that stuff in the first place. Or, or imagine a church where just people experienced genuine community. A place where, where like, people like, knew you. They knew the good, the bad, the ugly. And they loved you anyway. They, they, they loved you just like you are. But they, they loved you enough to encourage you to be more. A place where you knew if something went sideways, they were going to be there. They were going to have your back. Imagine a group of people where, like, instead of wrestling with depression, they experienced joy. People who were just, they didn't feel a need to pretend to be somebody they were not. They were comfortable in their skin. People who were glad for what they had instead of wishing for something they didn't have. And imagine a community that had all of these kind of markers, and then the culture around them, like, takes note of this. And they begin to ask, what in the world do they have there that we don't have, and how do we get some? And imagine people from the culture at large interacting with the people in that church and those interactions being so compelling that every day somebody from the culture at large discovered Jesus is what they have, and that's what I need. And so every day people from the culture at large are becoming part of that church. Every day, somebody, somebody new from the outside is surrendering their lives to Jesus and becoming part of that community as well. That's a pretty incredible sounding church, amen? amen. Yeah, who would like to leave faith and go find a church like that, right? <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. So, but this, this, this is the church that's being described for us in Acts 2, 43 through 47. A church with godly leaders, a church where care and generosity are core values, a church where people are like doing life together, where there's people, 
Folks are emotionally stable and healthy, and they have a faith that is irresistibly compelling to the culture that surrounds them. And I'll tell you what else that church was. They were a church that had predecided to be something. And what they predecided to be, we see it in the verse that comes before 43 through 47. So let's roll back to Acts 2.42 and see what it is. We read, they devoted themselves. They did what with themselves? They devoted themselves. One more time, they what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to these things. Now, fair question to ask is, okay, well, what, I mean, what's devoted mean? In the original language that we have here, devoted means to persevere in something. Perseverance is that, it's stick-to-itiveness. It's that thing that will not quit. They, they, they were constant in this thing. It means to be faithful in something. In fact, th this word that we have translated here is devoted in the original language. It's in the imperfect tense, which oftentimes communicates an action that is ongoing, that doesn't stop. See, it's why the King James Version will translate the verse this way. It says, they continued steadfastly in. Or the New American Standard translates it this way. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to. This, this devotion on the first church's part, this was not a one-time kind of devotion. These are things they were constantly doing. They were constantly devoting themselves to, to the apostles' teaching, to connecting themselves with God's truth. They were constantly devoting themselves to fellowship, to connecting themselves with God's people. They were constantly devoting themselves to worship, acts of worship like prayer and communion as they're connecting their spirit to God's spirit. In that first church, you did not hear things like, well, Peter's preaching this week, and I prefer it when John's in the pulpit, so I'll, just, I'll come to church next week. You did not hear things like, you know, it's just been a busy week. I, just, I haven't had time to read my Bible this week. You did not hear things like, well, as long as the kids don't have a game, and the weather's not too good, and the weather's not too bad, and the, the lake house isn't available, and there isn't something more entertaining going on, then I'll make time for church. No, they continually devoted themselves to connecting themselves with God's truth through the apostles' teaching. And in that first church, you did not hear things like, well, you know, it's just way easier and more comfortable to stay in my jammies and slippers and, and just catch church online. You did not hear things like, well, you know, that small, I mean, small group, I, I just, it's been a long day. I don't think I want to go. And have you seen the people in my small group? They're kind of weird. And, and that one rubbed me the wrong, I mean, they just rubbed me wrong way the other day. I'm just, I'm not going to be vulnerable with those people. No, they were continually devoted, continually devoted to connecting themselves with God's people through fellowship, 
And in that first church, you did not hear things like, well, I just don't like the psalms that we're singing lately, so I'm not going to sing. I don't like the way they're structuring communion. I want to have it right up front here, and if they won't do communion the way I want to do I don't think I'm going to do communion. I mean, I, the way they're praying, I just don't connect with that, and I don't, I, it just doesn't hold my attention. No! They continually devoted themselves to connecting their spirit with God's spirit through acts, corporate and private, of worship. See, all kinds of folks will read Acts 2. And all kinds of folks who, who, who take time to like drill into that chapter in the church's life will go, my goodness, that was an amazing community. I, I, I desperately want to be part of something like that. Here's what we need to understand. If we're going to experience what the first church experienced, then we need to be devoted to what the first church was devoted to. If we want to experience as individuals and as a community what the first church experienced, then we need to be devoted to, as individuals and a community, what the first church was devoted to. Now, it's worthwhile asking ourselves, okay, well, what are we devoted to? What are we devoted to? What do we spend our time on? And you'd be like, well, I don't know, I haven't thought about that. Let me help you. And to help you, I've got some rope. Because whenever you're trying to figure out what you're devoted to, a little bit of rope is helpful for that, right? And really, what, you're like, why rope? Well, I, the number of things people said to me, I thought you were going to do that with this rope from first service, all right? None of them, all right? Why rope? I've got 168 inches of rope here. And I've got 168 inches of rope because you've got 168 hours in each week of your life. And where your time goes, that's where your devotion is. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. If I tell you I'm devoted to something and I spend no time on it, I'm lying to you and I'm lying to myself. Now, you're like, well, what's my rope get spent on each week? You're not sure? I've done the research. I haven't done the research. I read other people's research, right? right? It's really not that complicated. Like the first third of your rope, you know where that goes? Sleeping, that's right. <laughs> Average American spends about 56 hours a week sleeping. And I'm not mad at you, all right? You need the rest. Right? Even those of us who have sleep disorders, we spend about 56 hours of, you know, we laying in bed wishing we were sleeping, mad at our partner because they are sleeping, all right? First third of your week, tends to go to sleep. Second third, you know what? I, that's right, work or school, right? Work or school, getting to work or school, doing your homework, bringing your work home with you. Again, and again, nothing wrong with that. If you want to eat and live indoors, like a job, that's helpful for that. An education that'll land you a job, good idea, all right? That leaves you, though, with about a third of your rope. Now, where does that other third go? How many of us are on social media? Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Don't lie to me at church. You'll condemn your soul, all right? All right? Research shows that the average American spends about 17 hours a week on social media. I don't spend that much time on social media. I don't put one of those little trackers on your phone. I took the thing off. I didn't like the information I was getting, right? Now, that leaves us with about 30-some hours for other stuff. If you got kids, boy, can kids eat up your rope, amen? 
Yeah, I mean, you got to feed those kids. You got to clothe those kids. If they're little, you got to clean up after those kids. You got to take those kids places. They're going to go see their friends. You got to take them to school. You got to take them to band. You got to take them to sports. You know, I mean, you, you didn't know you like grew up to be a human chauffeur, right? I mean, kids will eat up all kinds of your rope. And then if you're just an average person, you're just trying, like, you got to go grocery shopping, you got to cook the food, you got to eat the food, you got to go to the gym to work the food off that you ate, you got to take care of the house, you got to pay the bills, you got to rake the leaves, you got to, you know, you're trying to get out there and do a little bit of golfing, you got to read a book, you got to see your friends, you got to binge watch that show that's come out on Netflix, you know, you got to play some video games. Don't forget video games. You want to read a book, you got to spend some time with your wife. I mean, you just eat everything. So, I mean, and then you got one little inch of rope left. And what are we going to do with that? Oh, I almost forgot. We're Christians. We're going to go to church, right? Yeah. Now, in all fairness, I know because I watch you. All kinds of you spend way more than an inch of your rope every week on God. And in all fairness, some of us are struggling to even make that happen. But I'll just state the obvious. Anything I do for just an hour a week, I'm probably not going to be too good at. If I only spend an hour a week in the gym, I am not going to be a picture of health. If I only spend an hour a week with my spouse, I am not going to have a dream marriage. If I only study for an hour a week, I am not going to graduate at the top of my class. And if God has been crowded out to an hour a week or less, I'm probably going to struggle with devotion. If God's only getting my leftovers, it's no wonder I'm struggling with the same old sin. It's no wonder I'm afraid to share my faith. It's no wonder I worry more about what you think about me than what God thinks about me. It's no wonder I feel lukewarm and I'm wondering, is this all there is? See, if I want what the church had then, I need to be devoted to now what the church was devoted to then. And what I devote my rope to, it speaks a lot to what I'm devoted to. So, what would it look like for us to be devoted today like the church was then? So that we might experience more today what the church experienced then. Because here's the deal. If we don't take the time to think about it, it's not going to just happen. It just, I guarantee it will not accidentally happen to you. You've just got too many things competing for your rope. But I'd suggest it really doesn't have to be that complicated. It can, it can be, be as simple as some intentional, strategic devotion. So, so like, rather than just letting life happen to me and then giving God what's left over, what if at the beginning of my week I said, okay, I'm going to designate th this many inches of my rope, this many inches of my rope, before the week happens, I'm going to spend them connecting to God's truth. I'm going to make sure that I spend this many inches of my rope just reading my Bible, just chewing on what I hear God saying to me into that. I'm going to make sure church and being there is a priority. 
I'm going to go and hear truth for the first time. I'm going to go be reminded of truth again. I'm going I'm to make connecting to God's truth a priority in my life because my kids are watching me. And if it's not a priority for me, why in the world would I expect it becomes one for them? Uh, uh, rather than just letting life happen to me, I'm going to give God what's left over. I'm going to go, no, no, no. At the beginning of the week, I'm going to decide, how much of my rope am I going to designate for connecting with God's people in fellowship? Like, I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to go to the small group that I joined. When I get there, I'm going to recognize community isn't microwaved in a minute. Community is baked slowly over time. And so I'm going to lead in vulnerability. I'm going to pray regularly for the people in those groups. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage them relationally outside of small group. I'm going to be regularly devoted to connecting my spirit to God's people through fellowship. And then rather than just letting life happen and giving God what's left, I'm going to go, hey, I'm going to be ahead of time. I'm going to pre-decide. This, this much of my rope is going to be set aside for worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to engage in other forms of worship, corporately, by myself, be it at home alone, be in the car on the way to work. You know, if i got young kids, it's going to be in the bathroom because it's the only time I'm alone as a mom, right? You know, whether it's small group, church on Sunday, this many inches of rope, I'm going to devote connecting my spirit to God's spirit in various forms of worship. Now, as we hear this, we, we may sit here and think, okay, th- that's all well and good, but like, shouldn't that be natural? Like, if somebody, again, I've been forgiven, I have been set free, shouldn't it just be a natural thing, an outflow of gratitude in my life for what Jesus has done in my world? And the answer to that is, yeah, absolutely, in an ideal world, it would be natural. But if you don't live in an ideal world, If you live in a world where God's been crowded out to the last inch, then this is where we begin. With intentional, strategic devotion. And the hope is, as I live into that devotion, that it becomes a normal, natural outflow. But until it does, this is the place to start. Because again, it's not going to happen by accident. There are too many other things fighting for my rope and for your rope. Church, we were meant to experience what that church in Acts 2 experienced. But if we're going to, we've got to be devoted to what they were devoted to. We need to spend our rope the way they spent their rope. Because you see, we were made for more. We were made for more than a self-centered life of ease. We were made for more than just being popular and TikTok famous. Made for more than, than like graduating school and getting a good job and marrying a hottie and getting a house in the suburbs. And I'm going to mad at you if you have those things, but we're made for more than that. We were made to be conduits of God's goodness. We were made to to be a community 
that models concern and generosity. We were made to have genuine relationships with one another, to experience emotional stability, and to have something so compelling that when the culture around us experiences it, it is nearly irresistible to them. To have what that first church had begins when we predecide to be devoted to what they were devoted to. So before we move on and worship this morning, we're going to pray. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you go, you know what? I, I need to drive a stake in the ground and I need to predecide to be devoted in, in one or more of these areas. I want to pray with you. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, but those questions that we asked on the front end, you're not happy with how those are being answered? I'll tell you right now, changing the answer begins with a life fully surrendered to Jesus. And if you know or you, you need to do that, you're ready to do that, again, we're going to pray and I would love to pray with you about that. So let's pray together and we'll continue in worship. Father, for some of us today, we look at that first church and we want what that first church had. And yet life has just crowded things out. And so today, we want to predecide to be devoted to your truth, to your people connecting our spirit to your spirit. Fathers, as we've been listening and, and thinking about this first church and, and just realizing where we need to carve out some time each week and devote that time to connecting in that way. Father, give us wisdom, give us strength, help us to be consistent in it. Help us as a community, help us as individuals more and more and more to reflect that church that we read about. And Father, for other of us here today, we think about those questions and we don't like the answers that we get. And we've come to a place where we just, we realize change begins by saying yes to Jesus. Embracing the forgiveness he came to make possible. And so we just confess we are broken. We've been living life our own way. We have sinned. We cannot make this right. We need a Savior. Jesus who, who lived, who died, who rose again. And so in this moment, we surrender all of who we are to him. We just want to commit our lives to following him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.